And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is Wednesday. It's the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our latest blog post, yesterday's blog post, out on the website right now talking about Jeremy Grantham's view on the super bubble. Has it actually come you know, to an end here and you know, what's happening with the markets going forward? So we kind of go through that uh, analysis as well. And then of course this morning, Michael Leibowitz published his piece on stocks versus bonds. Uh, you know, what's gonna be a better choice over the next decade? Uh, both of those very good reads for you. They're on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure while you're there, you also subscribe to our daily commentary. Just uh, scroll down the front page right there. You can subscribe to our daily commentary. It comes out every morning at 7.30. Gives you a market trading update, kind of some uh, interesting tidbits about where we are in the markets, upcoming reports, et cetera. And then also subscribe to the newsletter. It comes out every weekend for the Bull Bear Report. So all that at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Lots of stuff there, by the way. Lots of stuff. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, interestingly, yesterday, uh, Janet Yellen coming out and, and kind of, you know, touting the markets and doing her job saying, ah, we're not really too much worried about a recession. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Just keep on doing what you're doing, right? So, you know, we'll, we'll see how well this works out. Of course, there's a big push by the Biden administration right now. Of course, uh, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden uh, on CNN talking about the same thing. It's like, oh, don't see a recession coming might be a mild one if we do have one. Uh, so again, it's all good. But again, remember we have midterms coming up in 27 days. So just right around the corner. So it's kind of a full court press right now to try to divert attention away from what's happening in the economy. And again, as we've talked about before, there's a lot of indications that the economy is, and, and it is true, right? We're not in a recession right now. But we will be in a recession because that's where the trend of the data is taking us, right? This, so this is uh, Jamie Dimon talking about yesterday, uh, two days ago actually, uh, talking about a recession in six months or so. Absolutely going to be the case. It's just a function of, of the data getting there. Again, we're so deviated from long-term means in terms of a lot of this economic data. It's going to take a while for it to get to negative, right? In order to have a recession, you got to have negative nominal GDP growth, basically, is what you're looking for. But the, the gap in that GDP was so large because of the inputs into the economy, it's going to take a while for that to come back down, just on normal growth rate. So, so again, those are going to happen. It's just a function of time. And, of course, tighter, fed, uh, tighter monetary policy, tighter credit conditions. Those are all weighing on the consumer, and that's, and that's also starting to you know, feed into that dynamic. Because remember, 70% of economic growth comes from what? It comes from consumption. And right now, as we talked about uh, recently, we've written about it, is that consumers are basically tapping into credit card debt just about as fast as they can do it right now just to make ends meet. But there's a limit to how much they can put on credit. And eventually, that consumption will have to slow down and when that consumption slows down enough, that's how you get an economic recession. So again, we're going to get there. Um, employment, right? Employment remains robust. Both Janet Yellen as well as uh, President Biden referring to the employment report saying, hey, employment's still very strong. Again, very big lagging indicator and also largely subject to big negative revisions. I suspect 
after midterm elections, we'll see some pretty big negative adjustments to those employment reports because that's what's typically happened throughout history, right? So after big election cycles, we get a revision to the data shows that you know the economic data is a little bit worse than expected that won't be a surprise i mean we you know you kind of look at the gap between what's happening and, and other indicators in terms of employment and hiring and those type of things and then see you know these big employment gains on a monthly basis you know those things have to meet back up at some point so again we're going to see a revision in this data it's just a function of time but right now that employment report is still suggesting a very strong economy yes that is true but again, unemployment tends to happen very quickly. It's almost as if all the CEOs get together all at once and say, okay, we're gonna start firing on Monday because unemployment doesn't gradually tick up, it spikes up very rapidly. And again, we're not there just yet, we haven't seen that. But, but again, we will uh, at some point in the future as we start to get a little bit further out into the economic cycle. Again, this is something that's gonna happen you know, first, second quarter of next year because through this quarter, we're still working off some of those excesses. But if you take a look at the, of the data, and this is the thing that we've been talking about for a while now, the data is trending negatively. The data is getting weaker. Employment data, as a good example, is getting weaker. We're, we're, we're hiring fewer people, right? There's still big numbers, 230,000. But that number that we're reporting each month is getting smaller and smaller. And so eventually that trend will go negative. So, you know, this is the same thing with a lot of these uh, manufacturing indicators, et cetera, we talked about the other day. Just because they're above 50 doesn't mean the economy is expanding. It just means that we haven't gotten negative yet because the trend of the growth is declining. So we're growing at a slower pace. Yes, we may be expanding, but the trend of the data is clearly showing you that you are heading towards a recession at some point. And there's plenty of indicators right now that show that. But again, you know, this is, is, is just kind of where we are in the things we're dealing with. High inflation, high interest rates, that's all going to slow down on consumption. That's all weighing on consumers. And there's a point to where that consumer eventually buckles. And particularly when we talk about the fact that, you know, so many consumers are living paycheck to paycheck. Recent survey out talking about 51% of consumers paycheck to paycheck, right? Have no excess savings. 60, you know, almost 80% of Americans have less than $500 in the bank, can't meet an emergency, aren't prepared for a recession. Numerous surveys out all telling you this exact same thing. So there's a point though to where, you know, they can maintain that living standard for the time being. And they're doing that job right now. Right? They're doing that job right now by tapping into credit card debts, big increases in, in, in revolving credit card debt every month. That ends at some point, and then that's when that consumer buckles, and things kind of tend to happen all at once. So, so again, you know, it's going to be one of those moments where the market just, or the economy rather, just kind of buckles under the weight of, of what's happening. And then, of course, we'll see what the Fed's doing then. Um, you know, we talked about the Federal Reserve, you know, trying to support other other countries, right? Overnight, um, the Federal Reserve opening up swap lines with Switzerland for about $3.1 billion. So again, we're starting to see those kind of fractional breaks uh, between the Bank of England, of course, doing QE through Friday to try to bail out their pension funds. You know, that's kind of an interesting story. The pension funds are getting margin called right now. So the Bank of England is buying bonds to stave off those margin calls and they're telling the pension funds, you have till Friday to straighten your stuff out. They're not gonna be able to do that by Friday. So I don't know exactly how the Bank of England is gonna be able to stop buying bonds on Friday 
because the pension system over there is not going to be any better off by Friday than it was on Tuesday when they started buying more bonds. So uh, we'll see how this works out. But, you know, again, we're starting to see those fractional breaks within the financial markets. It's that financial instability. And that's the big risk here that we've talked about for a while with the Federal Reserve. You know, the Federal Reserve's focused on inflation until financial instability becomes a real factor. And we're starting to see those very early kind of fractures in that financial stability system, that, that, that whole purview of, of, of things that the, uh, that the Federal Reserve looks at, starting to see those kind of cracks in that financial stability. And again, when those cracks start to really kind of formate themselves into a, in a period of instability, um, that's where the Fed's gonna have a much bigger decision to make about whether they're fighting inflation or whether they're trying to stave off a bigger financial correction in the economy. All right, quick break, lots of stuff to get into this morning. Don't go away, we'll be right back. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So finally, starting to get a little bit of reality check into the whole green energy paradigm. You know, and, and again, here for a while, it's been solar and, you know, these more inefficient forms of, uh, you know, electricity production. And now nuclear power is finally starting to go woke, I guess, with the rest of it, because Greta Thunberg, um, who was the young teenager that was thrust into the limelight with her views on the end of the world, doom and gloom, she was the pickup from Al Gore on the end of the world due to climate change. Uh, she is now endorsing nuclear power plants as a better option than coal plants as, as basically Europe falls into a deep freeze. And this is something we've talked about for a while is that, you know, nuclear power is where you're going to have to get to in the future because you just can't produce enough electricity for the demands, right? It's always about supply and demand. And if you want to have reasonable electricity costs, and a lot of people are really starting to struggle with electricity costs because, you know, it's prices are going up. It's inflation. <laughs> um, but in Europe in particular, the cost of producing electricity is getting so expensive that it's eating up so much of the household income that, you know, this is the, the problem uh, for Europe as they get into winter, simply just not enough supply of electricity and fuels to heat homes, right? And there was an article out yesterday where people are starting to look at, you know, burning 
animal excrement for heat, right? So that's make sure, you know, nothing like the smell of animal excrement on fire in your household <laughs> during Christmas. That's how, that's how they used to do it on the prairies back in the olden well, days. Yeah, but you're outdoors. You're not indoors well, where, true, you yeah. know, the scent of pumpkin spice and animal excre- excrement, right? <laughs> This will be a whole new. This will be a whole new thing for you know somebody to invent is pumpkin scent, pumpkin spice scented animal excrement, right? Just pumpkin for, spice and alfalfa. Exactly to to you know lumps to burn in your in your <laughs> oven at home to keep your house warm. You know this, but this is this is how bad it's getting. I mean, it's just simply getting, uh, you know, very difficult for those in Europe to to both find stuff to heat their home with. See, that's one thing. Uh, but then also the cost of it as well. So, again, it's going to be interesting. We're going to make this transition as we go. And, you know, as, as we've talked about before, you know, there's there's great ideas, right, into creating a more stable economic environment going forward. And the problem is the process of getting there and and trying to make radical changes very quickly always have very unintended consequences. And and we're witnessing a lot of that. And and again, this is to be something that we continue to deal with for a while. Eventually it'll smooth out, but it's just, it's going to be problematic for here for a little while. All right. Anyway, just thought that was interesting. Nuclear power. It frames a whole new situation with getting coal in the stocking for Christmas. The, the people want it this year. Yeah. People will be happy to have coal in their stocking this year. And if you've been bad? <laughs> get more of it. You get poop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I, as I was talking about, um, you know, for the break, there's plenty of economic data right now that is suggesting that, you know, we're going to have an economic recession sometime next year. And again, you know, this is going to be part and parcel of a when the National Bureau of Economic Research comes out and and dates the recession, right? So we're going to be in the recession before it's dated, right? So, you know, are we in a recession now? Maybe. Um, There's some economic data out there right now that doesn't support that idea. But again, when we start getting that revisions to the data, those negative revisions, then we'll, we'll, We'll be able to say, oh, yeah, the, the recession started in October of 2022, right, or whatever it is. But most likely because of where we are within the current cycle and because of, and as I was saying in the last segment, with all that monetary intervention that we stuck into the economy in 2020-2021, we had a very, very big jump in economic growth. Right. Because all because, again, 70 percent of the economy is consumption and all these people had a lot of money to spend. So they all went out and spent it, did exactly what they're supposed to do. So you had this very sharp increase in economic activity. Then that economic activity was bolstered by all these companies trying to go out and scramble and buy up a bunch of inventory to meet that demand. Right. So now this is all reversing and now the payback is coming. But but as is always the case, and as we've talked about, we've used the rubber band example before um, to talk about markets. When markets get very deviated or very stretched from their long-term means, it has to, they'll eventually snap back to that long-term mean. Same thing with economic data. So, you know, if, if you were at 2% economic growth and then the economy slowed down, you only have to lose 2% to get into negative territory to have a recession, right? 
Well, when the you know when economic growth was running at six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent, you've got a long way to go to get back to those negative numbers, and we're moving in that direction. So we're going to get there. It just takes time for that reversion to occur because that deviation was so large. This is also the same thing about the market. I'm sparking a nice little argument on Twitter this morning um, because I posted a chart of the S&P 500. And here, let me see if I can just dig this up real quick for you, Brent. We'll, uh, we can throw it up on the screen so you know, as, as people are kind of watching the show, they can... Uh, now, if you're driving, don't try to watch the show. That's, that generally doesn't work out well for you. Um, but yeah, so here's this chart I posted up this morning. And all it is, so if you are driving, just keep your hands on the wheel, keep looking ahead and uh, pay attention to that idiot in front of you that's driving and texting. Because um, <laughs> there's always that guy. Um, so yeah, there's all a guy putting on makeup. That's the other one. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so what this is a chart of is this is the market going back to 2008, uh, really 2007. And it shows the correction in the market and, and the financial crisis and, and the big bear market and how we went from basically two standard deviations overbought to, well, deep, deep two standard deviations below the long-term moving average um, at the bottom of that market. Now, so what's important is, is where are we today? And what this chart shows you is, is that because of that giant deviation that we had, and again, here's, you know, when you, when you take a look at where the market was in March of 2020, we come down to the long-term uptrend of the markets, bounded off of that because of all that monetary liquidity. And then we went into kind of overdrive in the markets and the markets got so deviated from the long-term mean, and in this case, we're looking at the 200-week moving average, right? So that 200-week moving average is the kind of the trend line that's bound the market ever since that financial crisis low. And so once we got above that, the market has come down and, and kind of run along this 200-week moving average. Well, we're sitting right on top of it right now. And, and the point about this is, is that while this feels like a bear market in the same way about the economy, right? It's like, oh, we're in a recession right now. Well, maybe not. Because again, we have to correct off all of that excess first. And again, when you look at 2008 as a good example, you broke below the 200-week moving average. You changed the trend of price growth from positive to negative, And we haven't done that yet. So as... as, as so this, I know this market feels terrible, right? And it's like, everybody's like, oh, it's the, you know, we're in a massive bear market it's, and, and the world's coming to an end. You hear a lot of this. That's not really the case because all we're doing is working off all that excess. And, and, the, and this is the problem with the economic data as well, right? We had so much excess built in. And because of the, of the, uh, of the reactions that corporations took to go stock up on inventory and everything else, you know, we had a lot of excess activity that's now being worked off. But the good news about this is you can get some hell of a deals coming up uh, for Christmas as all these companies now have a massive overstock of inventories. Uh, Amazon's running their second prime day of the year trying to liquidate inventories. Walmart, Target, others are going to start doing their Black Friday sales in October. You know, we used, to, we used to joke about the fact that, you know, Black Friday got moved back to Thursday now it's in October, so, you know, uh, but they've got all this inventory that they now have to liquidate off the market. So that's deflationary, right? 
but you can get some good deals on inventory, right? So if you want to go buy a television or whatever it is right now, you can get some stuff pretty cheap. Um, and that's going to continue as we get further into the holiday shopping season. But the point here is, is that the, we're now moving into the reverse mode of all this. And this is why all this economic data is trending off and is going to get weaker. But again, we're not likely going to have a dated recession until we get into the first, second quarter of next year. Because again, we're just trying to work off all those excesses. And that just takes time. Um, so we'll get there. But but again, this is, you know, this is the important part, you know, about understanding kind of where we are in the cycle and understanding that there was so much excess built up into the system that so far all we've done is just we're just trying to revert back to normal, right? And and while it feels terrible because we were at such a we it's kind of like the the the, the drug crash, right? You're on this great high and then the high wears off, <laughs> and so you've got to crash back to just being normal. And that's no fun, but that's all we're doing right now. And that that decline back to normality feels terrible, but all we're doing is moving back towards where markets should be trading based on valuations. So, you know, we're moving there, but it's just taking time and it feels terrible because, again, as we talked about before, we always benchmark to the beginning of the year. Where were we in January 1st? Where are we now? But we're still, you know, at levels where, you know, markets are still you know, in a bullish trend and, and creating a wealth effect. And this is the part that the Fed's looking at, right? This is one reason the Fed's not worried about the financial markets right now. And everybody's like, well, where's the Fed put, right? Why is the Fed bailing out the markets? Well, the wealth effect's still intact. Not as much as it was, but it's still intact. And we haven't gotten into a point to where financial instability is a real problem yet. But we're starting to see those cracks. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com let's go girls what do women want when it comes to finances join richard rosso and danny ratliff for a special ladies edition lunch and learn what women need from social security thursday october 20th at noon get the most out of your social security benefits register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies lunch and learn what women need from social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Well, this has got to be a new movie coming up for Netflix somewhere with... Uh, I guess you have to get Denzel Washington to do the starring role in this. Um, an inmate at Georgia Maximum Security Prison is accused of impersonating and stealing $11 million from billionaire movie mogul, a billionaire movie mogul, and may have scammed millions more out of other billionaires. The story involves gold coins, a private plane, duffel bags stuffed with cash, and a buckhead mansion. Right? This, this, is, this is made for Netflix. 
It adds up to potentially one of the biggest heists ever pulled from inside an American prison and made it even more startling by the fact that the inmate was in the Georgia Department of Corrections Special Management Unit, a maximum security facility designed to house the state's most hardened criminals. The man, 31-year-old Arthur Lee Cofield Jr., is dead's proud. <laughs> Assume the identity of L.A. mogul Sidney Kimmel uh, who stole 11 million and stole 11 million dollars from his Charles Schwab account, according to federal agents and attorneys, who have spent more than two years sifting through evidence. Kimmel is the CEO of Sydney Kimmel Entertainment, who's behind such films as Crazy Rich Asians and Moneyball, uh, the movie with Brad Pitt um, about uh, the baseball uh, team. Colfield allegedly used contraband cell phones, which he convinced customer service representatives at Schwab that he was Kimmel. And then transferred $11 million into an Idaho company for the purchase of 6,106 American Eagle one-ounce gold coins. Then, Cofield allegedly arranged for a private plane to transport the coins to Atlanta, where someone then used them to buy a $4.4 million house in Buckhead. Cofield was a shrewd and intelligent individual who could con you out of millions, said Jose Morales, who was the warden at the special management unit where Cofield was there. So <laughs> so much for rehabilitation. Yeah, right. <laughs> but here, here's the interesting thing about this, right? So we go through all these money. We have all these money laundering procedures in our offices. Um, you know, so, you know, for instance, as a client, you can't. And this is why we use custodians like Schwab, like Fidelity. Interactive Brokers, TD Ameritrade. Um, and the reason is to prevent things like a Bernie Madoff, right? How did Bernie Madoff steal $50 billion from people? Well, he did that by being both the advisor and the broker-dealer. So when people were sending in checks, they were sending in their deposits to his broker-dealer. So he was the custodian of the assets. So it was very easy for him to make up fictional statements and confirms and all that and steal all the money. Um so the reason we use an external custodian is to prevent someone, you know, stealing money, right? That's the whole purpose. And, and so these ex external custodians are, you know, protected. And there's also a lot of very in-depth procedures to try to make sure that your accounts aren't hacked or, you know, scammed, whatever. And, you know, so this is a pretty elaborate process. You know, he had to have a lot of data um, in order to impersonate Kimmel on the phone and get past customer service to send wires. So, you know, this is this is more this is my much more elaborate scheme than just this article covers, because you're talking about needing, you know, Social Security numbers and passwords and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So where so the question I have is, is who was feeding him the day if he's in prison? Right? Who's feeding him the data on Kimmel to run this scam and to, and to get Charles Schwab to actually send this money? Now, um, you know, Kimmel's going to get, Kimmel's fine because Schwab's going to be on the hook for the 11 million and have to, you know, reimburse him for that. Um, but this is a very interesting story. Again, I think this will make a, a, a fascinating movie. I would love to know the details, though, about how he got, you know, all of this information. Um, in order to facilitate a scam of stealing eleven million dollars out of out of that account, right? So I mean, you, you, it's just it's just going to be pretty pretty crazy. 
Kofel, you know, the, the article goes on. Um, it says that Mr. Cofield has figured out a way to access accounts belonging to high net worth individuals, frankly, billionaires, located across the country. So they need to hire this guy. <laughs> you know, talk about wasted talent. Well, you know, this is this you is know? this is if you ever, you ever see the movie Catch Me If You Can with yeah. Leonardo oh, yeah. DiCaprio. Uh -huh. Well, so that's a true story about a guy that was forging checks and all this stuff, right? And and he actually went to work for the government to help them figure out ways to prevent people from doing exactly what he was doing. And right. so, yeah. you know, I'm sure somebody is when if this guy ever gets out of prison, he's probably got a job job somewhere, right? <laughs> this guy's <laughs> this guy's under the jailhouse by now, <laughs> probably. Um, so yeah, the, so the federal prosecutors now. No, so whatever he was in, so it doesn't tell me what he was actually in jail for to start with. But if he's in the maximum security unit, it's not a good thing. Um, but he'll be there for a lot longer now yeah. that he's been caught, <laughs> because now he's charged with wire fraud and money laundering and quite a. Oh, oh here it is. Uh, he's actually in in jail for sh um, ordering a shooting in Atlanta. Oh, so murder for hire. Charming. Yeah. So this is this is a fine upstanding <laughs> citizen. <laughs> Not. Uh, so there we go. Anyway, I think th th this is going to be a movie. This will be a Netflix uh, movie at some point. Have Mr. Rosso do a treatment. I, I don't know. I don't think he can do it justice. Script. I'm not sure he can do this justice. You're, you're going to need somebody that really knows how to run a scam. True. Because this is this is this. This was very elaborate. And plus, you know, where is he getting all these burner phones from? He had to have had some inside he, he had, help. Yeah, no, he had tons of help. Yeah, right. No, this this is the whole point. You can't do this, mm -mm. you know, inside of a prison on a you know, on a computer. I mean, you can get a lot of information off the internet. Yeah, but there's a lot of information that somebody was feeding him. And I would be my curiosity is is who was feeding the information on Kimmel and how did they get that information on Kimmel? Right. Right. Who was doing the dumpster diving at Kimmel's house? <laughs> right. That's the, that's the that's the, the 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 in this case the eleven million dollar question. Yes. And who else did he do? I want to know who else he got because they said that. He oh did. yeah, there's more. Yeah, they mm -hmm. said they said there's more. So we'll we'll see. Anyway, um, interesting stuff. So the uh, we talked a little bit about you know financial instability and and cracks in the system and you know I thought it was interesting yesterday that Janet Yellen was talking about the fact that in times of kind of global economic troubles, people find safety in the U.S. In other words, they, they use the dollar, the reserve currency, as a place to store cash, which is correct. And this is why the dollar has been getting so strong relative to other currencies, because we're getting a lot of inflows into the dollar for safety and security, because of what's happening globally in terms of a global recession. One thing we've talked about, though, is there is a, a, a problem with that because when you have a very strong dollar relative to other currencies, there's, there's a, a dual impact that comes back from that. First is 40% of corporate revenues come from international sales. So if you make things more expensive by having a strong currency, your customers, your international customers, can't buy as much because it's costing them too much, right? So it's an inflationary pressure to them because of the of the of the dollar exchange rate. 
that's one problem. The other problem, of course, with strong currency in, in the U.S., and particularly when it gets, you know, kind of out of control, is that the imbalance, and, then, and, and again, this is why all currencies, you know, all countries kind of manipulate their currency. They, they want to try to keep a fairly stable balance between the euro, the, the yuan, the ruble, whatever it is, to the U.S. dollar because of that, you know, that purchasing power. Right, they want to keep it fairly stable, because if it gets too far to balance, it puts strains on economies, their economies, because everything they're buying, for the most part, in terms of commodities, etc., are all in dollars. Right, we trade everything's traded in dollars in terms of commodities: oil, gold, or, you know, gas, whatever it is, it's all dollars. So, when that dollar exchange rate gets too far out of balance, it puts economic pressures, downward economic pressures, on those countries. So it's a, it's, it's a problem, and, and it also feeds into the financial system and the credit markets, you know, all kinds of stuff, dollar swaps, all this stuff. And so we've talked about for a while that at some point, if that dollar gets too far out of balance, it creates financial instability for these foreign countries. And one thing we would see is ultimately is maybe the Fed stepping in to start opening up swap rates um, and, and to help ease that that imbalance of currencies. And I thought this was interesting because the Bank of America chief investment strategist, Michael Hartnett, um, was talking about that the markets will stop panicking when central banks start panicking. And two weeks ago, we talked about, you know, this is when the Bank of England kind of first blinked and started to buy gilts because of the situation that's happening with the pension funds in England. Well, Fast forward, and it hasn't gotten a whole lot better. Um, there hasn't been a formal announcement from the Federal Reserve or anything, but ever so quietly, uh, the Fed just shuttled $3.1 billion to the Swiss National Bank uh, to cover an emergency dollar shortfall. And so this is, this is one of those things that we've talked about is that when things get out of balance too far it starts creating problems within the financial system and again you know bank of england bank of japan now the swiss national bank you know what's what's the next these are those are those little breadcrumbs that are leading up to financial instability so the question is is who falls next and at what point does somebody does something break in the system that's much more critical to the functioning operation of the credit markets globally. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
So if things couldn't get any worse for Germany, you know, first thing we have somehow mysteriously and again, lots of finger pointing but no evidence of who actually bombed the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines right in the Baltic Sea. So that's still undergoing whatever that's investigation, I guess you'd call it. Everybody's just pointing. I don't, I don't know if it's really an investigation. Everybody's just pointing fingers at each other like, they did it. But, you know, that's uh, caused a lot of problems with shutting down transmission of gas to Europe. Um, of course, then they're desperately in need of it. Now, another major pipeline carrying crude oil from Russia to Germany was halted after a leak was discovered as Europe has continued to grapple, grapple with their energy infrastructure issues in recent weeks. And, you know, again, this, this goes back, you know, it's interesting, back when Donald Trump was president, he warned Germany in particular that they needed to not be as dependent on Russia for gas and oil as they were. And everybody was like, whatever. It kind of blew him off. Crazy orange man, right? Um, and, you know, this has come to fruition now. And now they're in, in real desperate problems. And again, you know, the, the issue for Germany in particular, and, and, and again, you know, I was talking to my son the other day that lives there, is that winter is coming and it's cold there. And... You know, now, fortunately, where my son lives, he's okay because he lives in a small town that's actually powered by nuclear power. So they're okay. But for a lot of Germanys, you know, they're in real desperate straits. And this is just kind of another blow. The leak was detected on a section of the, which is on a section of the pipeline, which is Europe's largest crude oil conduit. And this was uh, from Bloomberg said that the Polish operator Pern stopped flows through one of the pipeline's northern section and said the leak was discovered near the village. Uh, which is about 112 miles north of Warsaw uh, in Poland. So the cause leak's not known, right? They'll get it fixed and, and they'll go on. But, you know, the problem is, is this is just one compounding problem after another. And the dependency and what Germany, where Germany went wrong was shuttering their coal plants and shuttering their nuclear power plants, et cetera, in a lot of cases, trying to opt for this very rapid shift into green energy, right? Wind, solar, et cetera. Wind and solar is fine, except it doesn't really work well when, you know, you're in the depth of winter and there's not a lot of sunshine. So, you know, this becomes, you know, problematic on production. So, you know, again, just so far, you know, they, you know, this is, you know, they're, they're saying that no disruptions have been reported at refineries and that the, uh, some of the refineries are still operating at capacity. But again, just, it's kind of just as of late, it's just been one kind of one repeated blow to another to Europe. And again, this is going back to what we're talking about a second ago. The, the issue is that all this is compounding the problem of a very deep recession in the Eurozone. They're about to have a very deep economic recession and the the problem is that while we're over here and we're going okay great you know we're, we're doing fine and dandy at the moment we have a lot of dependency on the eurozone for profitability for corporations and corporate profit margins are still very high right now and earnings estimates have come down but not nearly enough to compensate for a global recession so if you have a recession, you know, throughout Europe caused by a combination of high interest rates, high inflation, a strong dollar, et cetera. I mean, those are, you know, we have, you know, 
a, a small benefit here. Yes, we have high inflation, but our dollar power, our, the dollar strength is giving consumers a lot of purchasing power right now to buy product. Um, if you want to travel right now in Europe, it's cheap. <laughs> so, you know, Americans have an advantage of being in the dollar, which is helping things right now, but Europeans don't. They're not only impacted by high inflation and slowing economic growth and, and all the other issues, they're also impacted by this strong dollar uh, you know, problem that they have that's, in, that's increasing the cost of everything that they're buying and importing from the U.S. So, you know, this is, you know, you're going, and the, the point about this is, is that ultimately you're going to get a feedback loop into the U.S. You, you know, it's, we, you know, we often talk about emerging markets and, and international economies, right? And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, you know, emerging markets are going to be awesome because they're so cheap. Well, the problem with that theory is that they are fundamentally cheap relative to the U.S., but they're not fundamentally cheap relative to themselves. And they're highly dependent upon the United States and, and the big industrialized international economies, France, Germany, you know, Britain, et cetera, for that's their, who their customers are. They're primarily exporters of commodities. And so they're dependent upon that consumption for their economic growth. So the strong dollar is exacerbating that problem for them. The, the weak European economies exacerbating, exacerbating that problem for emerging market economies. And then there's a feedback loop between those industrialized economies and the U.S. because we're dependent on them for consumption, right? As I said, 40% of the revenues of, of international companies, Apple, Microsoft, et cetera, depend upon those inter that, that international consumption. And that is going to slow down. So this will get reflected into corporate earnings over the course of the next you know, few quarters as, as this goes along. And again, we're going to get kind of the first real test of this starting next week. Now, through the end of this week, we've got some minor um, reports. We've got uh, Pepsi out today uh, reporting earnings, uh, Duck Creek Technologies. But starting next, and then on Friday, I think we have Bank of America and, and J.P. JP Morgan, if I'm not mistaken, and then starting next week, we've got a lot of companies starting to come in. By October 28th, we'll have 70% of the S&P 500 reporting. So over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to get a really good flavor about just what's happening domestically as well as internationally. So, and again, what these companies report aren't going to be isn't going to be important because that's, that's last quarter's earnings. What's going to be important is, is what they say about what's coming down the road. What do they say about their inventory levels? What do they say about their consumption or demand levels from their customers? What are they saying about their outlook for the next quarter or two? Uh, are they withdrawing guidance altogether because they just don't have a clue as to what is coming down the pipeline? That's going to tell us a lot about what's going on. Now, we've already had a couple of companies come out and pre-announce, and it wasn't good. So if those pre-announcements are more symptomatic rather than one-offs, if those are more symptomatic about the global economy, we could be seeing a lot of disappointment in terms of what people think about what's coming down the pipeline. And this is going to be the, the question for the markets is, has the market priced that in? 
right? Because that's all that's all that's been happening, right? So, you know, whether or not you know you think we're in a bear market or not, it's irrelevant. All the market's doing is is adjusting price for what are expected earnings. That's all that's going on. We're just reevaluating what we've paid for stocks in terms of what future cash flows, revenue, and earnings are going to be. So the question is, is has the market accounted for the decline in earnings and corporate profitability enough? Forward valuations right now, depending on how you measure them, whether it's operating or you know a variety of different measures, but somewhere on the S&P 500 between 12 to 15 times earnings on a forward basis. Trailing basis earning uh, uh, valuations are still pretty elevated, but forward earnings have come down pretty pretty sharply. And again, there's a lot of fudge factors that go into those forward operating earnings that, that really make them less useful. But the point is, is if, if that forward earnings are accurate, then stocks are pretty cheap here. I suspect, and as I said, there's a lot of fudge factors that go into those forward operating earnings that tend, you know, tend not to be very reliable for forecasting valuations. But you know, what we're going to find out over the course of the next few weeks in particular is how much more or how much farther earnings are going to have to come down in order to get the market aligned with what reality is going to be. We'll find out. Again, this is going to be kind of the big question over the next couple of weeks. But the, the, in the, we'll be talking about this. We'll be watching earnings very closely this season and obviously talking about them with you. Now, this morning... We've got coming out at 7.30 is PPI. That's the Producer Price Index. Tomorrow, uh, Michael Leibowitz will be here, and we'll have the CPI index coming out at 7.30 in the morning, but we'll kind of do a preview of, of the CPI numbers tomorrow. We'll have a little bit of feel for what's happening with inflation from the Producer Price Index. My suspicion is, is that we could see maybe a little bit bigger fall this morning in PPI versus what estimates are. Right now, uh, PPI, excluding food and energy year over year, is looking to be 7.3 um, and basically flat. So, you know, it, it wouldn't really be surprising to see a small negative print in the month-over-month -month rate of change um, and maybe see uh, PPI come in at 7.2, something like that, um, because we are starting to see some deflationary pressures in you know supply line supplies have become you know inventories are up supply chains have have softened so a lot of that you know tightness in the producer side of the equation has has softened up here so we might see a little bit better number this morning which um, you know right now stocks are, are pointing up this morning in terms of futures so we'll see how this plays out today um, and again, tomorrow we'll get CPI. So by Friday, we'll have a pretty good indication of kind of where we are. So, all right, wrap up the show. Be sure you get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And of course, while you're there, send us your questions, comments, emails, whatever we can do to help you. Get our, our uh, get registered for the daily market commentary. It's all there for you. Check out simplevisor.com as well for all of our research analysis and more. That's uh, at simplevisor.com. All right, have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow morning with Michael Leibowitz to cover Fed, markets, money, and more. And uh, three minutes of markets and money will come up on YouTube here in just a little bit. So hang around for that. Be right back. See you tomorrow.